Well, those of you uh, who are arriving late might have thought you were later than you thought, uh, seeming as how we were singing a Christmas carol uh, as you walked in. Um, it seems in one sense a shame uh, that these beautiful hymns extolling uh, the person and the incarnation uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that we, we keep them for a few weeks uh, in December. Of course, they become all the more special when we do that. But it was the, um, it was the final uh, verse, the final stanza, uh, omitted, of course, from, uh, from our hymn books. And perhaps you can see why the poetry needs to be worked on just a little bit, I think. Um, but it was the reference to Adam uh, and the consequences of Adamic uh, sin uh, that I, I chose that uh, particular uh, hymn and that beautiful tune uh, melody by uh, Mendelssohn. Now, tonight uh, we're going to talk um, a little more about sin. Uh, we've uh, begun to talk about it in terms of the fall uh, and the sin of Adam and the consequences of the sin of Adam and we spent a good bit of time uh, last week uh, speaking in particular about the importance and significance of Genesis 3 and the, the uh, account of the fall uh, in uh, Eden and now tonight uh, we're going to look at uh, original sin uh, or the transmission of sin and this is going to segue uh, next week into the extent of sin uh, and perhaps uh, what you will know uh, more colloquially as depravity or total depravity and what that, uh, what that means and we'll, we'll work that out uh, hopefully next uh, Wednesday evening in our School of Theology. Uh, it's almost impossible to um, speak about one aspect of this doctrine without uh, treading all over other aspects of the doctrine and uh, we'll, we'll have a little bit to say about uh, the extent of sin uh, this evening but we'll, we'll flesh it out uh, to use a, a Pauline term uh, we'll, we'll do that next, uh, next Wednesday now if you turn to page 3 I've given you just a summary of, uh, on page 2 of uh, where we were last week uh, and the fivefold uh, state of sin as a condition of condemnation, defilement, depravity, inability, and death. Uh, and uh, we will return again uh, to some of these uh, categories uh, next week, uh, depravity and inability especially uh, next week. But now, on top of page three, as we, as we begin our, our journey uh, everything that we said about Adamic sin uh, is now true uh, of every human being. Uh, we are all sinners, uh, and more than that, we inherit uh, the guilt and corruption of Adam's sin. And, and that's what we need uh, to talk about this evening, uh, beginning with... Uh, the state or the condition of uh, universal sin. And some scriptures, uh, first of all, to, uh, to set the scene here a little bit. Uh, 1 Kings 8, 46, uh, there is no one who does not sin. 
Uh, it's a little forgotten text, maybe in First Kings 8:46. There is no one who does not sin. Or one that we're all familiar with, I'm sure, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of uh, the glory uh, of God. Uh, The question uh, that we need to have in our minds uh, here is, what does Paul mean by all have sinned? Uh, Does he mean all of us have sinned in the sense that we actually sin? Every one of us has committed sin. Or is Paul in Romans 3.23 as... um, Someone like Philip Bedgecombe Hughes, for example, I would argue that Paul is actually saying uh, all have sinned. Uh, it's an aorist tense, so, so the reference is to something in the past. And the something in the past is Adam's sin. We have all sinned because we sinned in Adam. Uh, Adam's sin is reckoned to us. And, and here in Romans 3.23, all have sinned. I'm not convinced that that's what Paul is talking about in Romans 3.23. That is certainly what he is talking about in Romans 5, uh, which we'll uh, come to in a moment. Or 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and uh, the truth is not uh, in us. Uh, All of these texts, and there are more of course, Uh, are suggestive of the fact that we all, uh, all of humankind, uh, have a bent, have a disposition uh, towards sin. Uh, We we come into the world with a sinful um, bent, a sinful uh, disposition. Uh, We read of it, I think, in Genesis 4, immediately after the fall, in terms of uh, something that is said about Cain, uh, a desire that Cain, uh, in fact, needs to master. Uh, Genesis 4, 7 says, sin is crouching at the door. It's a a very graphic sort of metaphor uh, that, uh, that, that the offspring of Adam and Eve... Uh, recognizes something that is true uh, of him, that sin is crouching at the door. It is, it is there, and he needs to deal with it. Or uh, Paul's uh, self, um, his, uh, his own biographical uh, uh, account of himself in uh, Romans 7, uh, 21, that evil lies close at hand. Evil lies close at hand. Uh, It's like a tyrant, uh, Paul suggests in Romans 7. Uh, It's like a tyrant uh, living within his members. Sin dwells um, within me. Uh, Earlier on in Romans 7, he he seems to allude to something that almost almost resembles a snake uh, that is lying uh, dead and, uh, and springs to life in the presence of the commandment, in the presence of law, it springs to life. It seems to be lying dead like a coiled up snake. But as soon as the law comes, it seems to, it seems to come to life. Uh, James in chapter 1, uh, in a, a verse about um, temptation says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then uh, desire, uh, epithumia uh, in Greek, desire, uh, we'll come back to that term, um, just just make a a mental note of the the word concupiscence. Uh, That's your new word for tonight. Uh, The word you have to tweet this week, concupiscence. 
the, then desire, when it is conceived, uh, brings, uh, gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, uh, it, gives, it brings forth um, death. So James is giving you something of a kind of morphology of temptation. It begins with this, this evil desire, this, this bent, this uh, propensity within us, uh, a, a longing, a desire for something uh, that is not ours, something, something illicit. Something that is illegal, something that is contrary to the will of God. And, and, then, and then it grows. This desire, when it is conceived, uh, brings forth sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to uh, death. So, uh, all of these texts are suggesting that there is sin before sins. Right, follow, follow me closely. There is sin before sins. Or to put it in a different way, um, we, are, we, are, we, are, we, we sin, uh, we actually sin because we are sinners. That's what we are. Uh, our, our actual sin is just a reflection of what we are. We, we are by nature sinners. And whence this nature? Why is it that every individual, every human being is conceived in sin? In sin did my mother conceive me, Psalm um, 51. Why why is that? Uh, Why is it true of every single human being except for Jesus that they are sinners before they sin? Uh, that's original sin, and that's what we're talking about, the, 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 our sinful uh, nature, the sinful uh, propensity, the bent, the disposition uh, towards sin. What is the cause of it? Uh, so point three, the cause of um, universal sin. And the cause for universal sin is um, Adam. It is solidarity with Adam. Uh, it is the headship of Adam. It is the, it is the representative nature of Adam. Adam represents us in some, in some way. We need to work out how does Adam represent us in a minute. But the answer of scripture is Adam. Uh, as in Adam, uh, all die. In Adam, all die. 1 Corinthians 15.22. In Adam, all die. All are reckoned to be dead in Adam. Uh, the, the, the death, the, the human death, the spiritual death that comes uh, and, is a, and is a fact of life, it's a reality of life of every, uh, of every human being. Uh, we all die. What, why? Because of something to do with Adam. In Adam. Or uh, Romans 5, uh, Romans 5, 12 through 21. Let's spend a couple of minutes. This is criminal of what I'm about to do, but, uh, uh, but, but we have to contain ourselves here. But uh, I, I want to look at Romans 5, 12 through 21, these uh, 12 verses, these, do- these dozen verses in Romans 5, second half of Romans uh, 5, because they are crucial, they are central to the topic at hand. Uh, the topic of original sin. That's, that's, that's in part what Paul is talking about in, in Romans 5. 
I've, uh, I've printed it out for you in the ESV uh, text, uh, partly because, uh, uh, very helpfully, it's been divided into three sections, uh, suggestive of the fact that there are, in fact, three things that Paul seems to be saying in the second half of uh, Romans 5. Uh, that there are, two, uh, there are two characters, two individuals, two men, two Adams, in fact. Uh, the first Adam and the second Adam. Uh, look, at, uh, look at the end of verse 14. Uh, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. In that first section, the name of Jesus doesn't appear, uh, but he's there, of course. The one who was to come is Jesus. Uh, and, uh, and he is uh, spoken of very clearly then in, in the second and third uh, paragraphs. So you have two, two men, two Adams. The first Adam, the second Adam. Uh, Adam in the garden and uh, Adam in the, in the wilderness, tempted in the wilderness. Jesus coming to restore the garden, to bring us back into the garden. Um, so you have two characters and you have two um, actions, two, two deeds, two events. Um, and over and over, uh, Paul mentions these two things. Uh, look at verse 15, uh, trespass. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Right? He's talking about a specific event and it's the it's the trespass of Adam it's the it's the sin of Adam Uh, look at the next sentence for if many died through one man's trespass go down a few lines and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin keep reading for the judgment following one trespass drop down a couple of lines because of one man's trespass right it's like a tolling bell right it's like a tolling bell and and it's saying trespass the one trespass Adam's trespass you have you have two Adams the first Adam the second Adam and this first Adam is known to us as the one who trespassed as the one who sinned in the garden and in, 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 in contrast to that, uh, you have in verse 19, uh, the second half of verse 19, so by the one man's obedience. You, you see the contrast? You have, you, have, you have the trespass, 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 and the one man's obedience. So there are, two, uh, there are two Adams, there are two uh, deeds, two actions, two events, and then there are two results. Uh, the result of the one trespass, uh, go to the, about the middle of the second paragraph, uh, it's uh, in the middle of verse 16, one trespass brought condemnation. One trespass brought condemnation. Go to verse 18, one trespass led to condemnation what did the obedience of the second Adam bring verse 18 justification and life now this is a very complicated uh, section uh, I'm, I'm, I'm 
almost doing something criminal in looking at this section in a couple of minutes here. Um, but, but the main thing that Paul is saying is there is, there is Adam... There is his trespass, and it brought condemnation. It actually, look at verse 18, it brought condemnation for all men. Right? What Adam did, he did as a representative, as a head, and the consequences flowed to all men, to all human beings. We are sinners, not just because we sin, that's true, but we are sinners because of the one trespass of Adam. And then on the other half, the other side of this equation, there's the second Adam. And there is his act of obedience. And through that act of obedience, we are justified. We have justification and life. Now, that's it. That's the gospel. That's, that's the entire story of the Bible um, from, from Genesis to Revelation. That's what it's all about there. In that passage. That's it. And, uh, and I think a, a thorough uh, study, you need to go back, I guess, I can't remember how long ago Dr. Ferguson preached through Romans, that, that high uh, watermark in your life and experience. Um, but No, I'm not. And now I am. Okay. Uh, let me let me um, let me hold it in my hand here and see if uh, see if I can keep going. Uh, I meant everything sweet and nice about Dr. Ferguson, so I, I didn't mean for it to go off. Um, uh, so Romans 5, a very, very important uh, passage, second half of Romans 5, very important passage on uh, original sin, but. But answering the question, how come, how come we are all sinners? How come we all die? How come the consequences of sin is reckoned to us? Actually, actually a much more tender and difficult, very, very difficult question to ask. Why do infants die who have never sinned voluntarily? Why do they die in embryo? Because of Adam is the answer. Because of Adam. This, this horror, this, this, this dreadful thing that happens. This horrendous, gut-wrenching thing that happens. Why? Why? Because of Adam. That's Paul's answer. Because of Adam. Because the consequences of Adam's sin came upon the entirety of humanity. How is sin, how sin becomes universal? That's what Paul is investigating. So look at verse 14 as a kind of summary. Death reigned from Adam... But it starts at verse 12. Sin and death came through one man. Um, Adam then as a 
type of the one who was to come. The issue is uh, headship, representation, representative, um, and, and, and so on. Let's, let's turn the page. Um, actually, let's go to the very end for a second. Hold your finger on page uh, 5 and go to the end. And to um, uh, Elgar's uh, dream of Gerontius, actually it's Cardinal Newman's dream of Gerontius, but I, I know it better from Elgar's uh, uh, oratorio, uh, the dream of Gerontius. And if you want, uh, the, the, the theology of the dream of Gerontius is terrible. Uh, it's, of course, Roman Catholic. It's Cardinal Newman. Uh, but this hymn that occurs in the middle of uh, Newman's dream of Gerontius is, uh, is superb. Absolutely superb. Uh, praise to the holiest in the height and in the depth be praise. And in all his words, most wonderful, most sure in all his ways. O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. O wisest love that flesh and blood, which did in Adam fail, should strive afresh against the foe, should strive and should prevail. Actually, that's a beautiful summary of what Paul is saying in the second half of Romans 5. Sin, shame, guilt, condemnation, failure came in Adam, and justification and life came in the second Adam. He did that which Adam did not do. He obeyed the one man's obedience. Let's get back to page 5. So death spread to all men because all sinned. Uh, Romans 5.12 What does Paul mean when he says um, because all sinned? Now, death spreads to all men because all of us actually sin. None of us obey God's law. Every one of us breaks God's law. Is that what Paul is saying? Death spreads to all men because we, are all, we all actually sin. Right? How, are we, how are we to understand all Sinned. Now, this is, uh, this is an immensely important question to ask, uh, and, one, and the answer to which could be very intricate and prolonged and intense, um, but, but let, let's see if we can cut through uh, all of that and, and try and answer this, this hugely significant question. Uh, what does Paul mean when he says, all sinned? And... Uh, from as far back as, as, uh, as some of the patristic fathers, for sure, but, uh, but, but there, there are those who suggest, like, like Turretin and uh, Philip Edgecombe Hughes and, and John Murray and others, that what Paul is saying in verse 12 is not that death passes to all men because we actually all sin. That is, that is true. We do actually all sin, but that's not what Paul is saying here. We all sinned in the past, Right back in the past, right back in Genesis 3, in Adam. That, that Romans 5.12 is saying that the reason, the reason why death comes to all of humanity is because of the one trespass of Adam. We all sinned in Adam. Now is Paul saying we are considered then to be sinners because of actual sin on our part? Or 
Is he suggesting that we actually sin because we sinned in Adam? You've got to ask that question you know, four or five times and then it'll sink in what, what it's saying. Uh, and of course, the, the answer is, is the second one. Um, and if so, if the reason why we sin is because we sinned in Adam, how exactly did we sin in Adam? I mean, you have no memory of sinning in Adam. But the Bible says, and it says it very clearly, that you sinned in Adam. You, he was, Adam was so much your representative that when he did something, you did it. We don't think like that about political representatives, because if they, they do something we don't like, they're not representing us. Right? We, we cut the ties. But everything Adam did, he, he did it in such a way that when he did it, you did it. We sinned in Adam. All sinned in Adam. Now, let's look at some of the answers to the question. How exactly did we sin in Adam? Now, there are various answers. Uh, one is uh, the Pelagian answer. Uh, that all men are guilty of actual transgressions. Uh, that's the, 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 the reason why we die is because we actually sin. We sin like Adam. Just as Adam sinned, we, we sin. We sin just like him. Uh, and uh, Pelagius, and if you turn, uh, if you turn, where's my picture of Pelagius? Um, there was a picture of Pelagius. Did I miss it? Oh, it, it sort of got pushed down to page 9. Um, uh, and then on page 10, at the top of page 10 with a, with a halo around his head and a balding figure with, a, with just a little bit of hair uh, and a mustache, that's, uh, that's uh, page 10, Pelagius, top of page 10, Pelagius. Now, the one redeeming feature of Pelagius was that he was Welsh. <laughs> and that's it. Um, let's get back to the Pelagian answer on page 5. Um, it, it is the same kind of answer, nuanced a little bit, that is given by the Arminian uh, by Arminius and Arminianism in the 17th um, century. Uh, so that all sinned means that all people suffer the consequences of Adam's sin only when personally consenting to their evil inclinations and committing a sinful act. So, so man, man is only liable for sins committed personally, consciously, and volitionally. So that's what all sin means. All sin means, means that, that we sin like Adam sins. Now, uh, that can't possibly be the right answer. Because if you, if, you think about, uh, if you think about Romans 5, Paul is making a double argument. He's saying something about Adam, but he's also saying something about Jesus. If, if you're saying that we sinned in Adam in the sense that we sinned like Adam sins, try putting it on the other side of the equation. 
That the reason why we are reckoned to be righteous is because we, we perform righteousness like Jesus performed righteousness. We sin like Adam. We, we, we do righteousness like Jesus did righteousness, did obedience. No. Right? So, so what, is, what is true of the one side of the argument, I think, has to be true of the other side of the argument. So John Murray's uh, response... Includes, includes the following. First of all, that it's not true historically because infants uh, die, but not because they voluntarily sin. Uh, and, and then uh, in, in verses 13 and 14, uh, he says the opposite. Death reigned during the period before the law. Right? Death, de- people died before the Ten Commandments were given. Before, before the mosaic uh, exposition of law was given, people still died. In other words, they died before they had an opportunity to obey the law as it was fully revealed. They died because of something Adam did. And the repeated refrain, the tolling bell in the passage suggests the one trespass, the one trespass. A uh, second answer, page six, is, uh, is the so-called realist uh, answer. And this is a view um, held by Augustine on the left. And uh, WGT Shedd, uh, the, the, the Yankee, if you like, the, the, the northerner uh, in uh, the middle. And then, of course, uh, James Henley Thornwell. Uh, on the on the right, uh, this is the realist view, and I have to tread um, in, enormously carefully here because I'm going to d- disagree with with James Henley uh, Thornwell here. Uh, Thornwell's uh, collected writings, uh, which you all have, I'm sure, uh, propped up next to your pillow. Uh, at home, uh, the four volumes of his collected writings, and then another volume about his life. So the five volumes uh, of uh, James Henley Thornwell. Uh, and I suppose I should say for those listening to this uh, who are not members of this church, uh, that James Henley Thornwell is a former senior minister of this uh, congregation and revered. And his paintings are, his picture uh, hangs uh, in, in great uh, pomp and circumstance in one of our buildings. And one of our buildings is named uh, after him. And uh, we love him and adore him uh, as much as we can without committing any act of idolatry. Uh, and, uh, and, and Thornwell, uh, Thornwell has, uh, has a view. Uh, let me see if I can, uh, if I can uh, pick it up here. He, he is... Um, this is, this, is Thornwell's, uh, this is Thornwell's problem. That if we are reckoned to be sinners purely on the part of the obedience of someone else. So we are born, we are born, God, God brings us into the world. Uh, and, uh, well, let me read what he says here. Uh, how, we're about the middle of this quotation, after the first, you see that in italics, the first is, how can that which now and here begins its being, begin it in a state of sin without an imputation upon the character of God? In other words, a, a person is born into the world, they've never sinned, they've never committed actual sin, but they are reckoned to be sin. How does that not reflect, Thornwell says, on the character of God? How does that not make God 
the author of sin? That, that's his question. It's a, it's a good question. It's a terrific question. It's a very serious question. It's an immensely serious question. It's about as serious a question as you could ever ask. Because, because the last thing that you ever want to do is to impute that kind of thing to God, that God is the author of sin. And, and our Reformed theology and our confessions has been absolutely resolute that God is not the author of sin. Whatever, whatever the explanation is for sin being in the universe, and if you've got the answer to that, you're going to be a millionaire, a billionaire. Because, because theologians and, and philosophers have been asking and trying to answer that question from the very beginning of time. But Reformed theology has been, has been resolute. God is not the author of sin. That's, 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 um, that's uh, Thornwell's uh, problem. So, so in, order, in order for, that, for, for that, that conclusion not to be drawn, somehow, some way, we actually had some kind of existence in Adam. I mean, a real existence in Adam. It wasn't just a, like, a federal representation, a legal representation. We were actually there. Somehow, some way, we were in Adam. Now, Thornwell lived in a time, you know, a long time before uh, genetics, and, uh, and, 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 you know, we might say today, you know, we were genetically in Adam. But, but, but that, that, that sort of biological thing was not uh, something I think that uh, Thornwell was trying to get at. He was trying to get at some, some, some reality. In some form or fashion, we were, we were there in Adam. Otherwise, you're, you're saying God is, is imputing sin to somebody who, 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 was never, who, who never sinned. And, and that makes him the author of sin. So human nature must be viewed generically and numerically as a single unit. I've no idea what that means, but that's, that's, what, that's Thornwell's position. Uh, it's the realist uh, position. We all sinned actually in some way in, uh, in uh, Adam. Now look at Murray's uh, response. Uh, it's number four on page seven. Uh, the, uh, the Roman, uh, I mean the, uh, the IV, the four, uh, in, on page seven. Uh, and since the analogy instituted between Adam and Christ is so conspicuous, it is surely necessary to assume that the kind of relationship which Adam sustains to men is after the pattern of the relationship which Christ sustains to men. Uh, to out the case con conversely, surely the kind of relationship that Christ sustains to me is after the pattern which Adam sustains to men. And Murray is, uh, is saying, if you're going for a, a realist view of our actually sinning in Adam, then, then the logic of Paul's argument would, would suggest that you have to be realist in the way, in the way that, that you are represented in Christ too. And I'm not convinced that that's going to work. So, I'm sorry. Humbly apologetic to, to Mr. Thornwell. Uh, the agnostic answer... Uh, I don't know. 
um, Robert L. Dabney uh, from, you know, he ministered in a place called Tinkling Springs. I remember visiting uh, Tinkling Springs, pulling up the car, couldn't believe my eyes when I saw the sign outside the church. Um, Tinkling Springs. Um, I guess you have to be British to know what tinkling means in Britain um, because it probably means something different. Uh, the agnostic answer. And then, and then the federal answer. And, and you have some heavyweights here too. Charles uh, Hodge on the left and uh, um, John Murray uh, on the right. Uh, the, the view known as, as, as immediate uh, imputation. Um, that Adam federally, covenantally, legally represented us. And Jesus federally, legally, covenantally represents us. Now, there was a, a little bit of a difference uh, between John Murray and Hodge. On, 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 uh, Hodge argued that only uh, the obligation to obey the law or the liability to punishment was imputed. And Murray argued that in addition uh, to that, um, the liability to guilt, uh, guilt was also uh, imputed. And not just, not just the liability to punishment, but guilt itself. So that we are reckoned in Adam, by means of Adam's representation, we are reckoned to be guilty. Now, I think you can understand that there's a difficulty there. Um, because everything in you wants to say that's not fair. You know, that you, that, you, that you are reckoned guilty because someone else did, did it. And, and everything in, in you wants to say, but that's not fair. But, but the, 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 the difficulty uh, is compounded by the fact that whatever, whatever objection you raise to Adam's representation, you, you must also uh, level that, that objection then to Christ's representation. Uh, and, and everything about Christ's representation is, is apart from any, any uh, contribution of our own. Uh, into, this, uh, uh, into these sort of fairly muddy waters now on uh, the, the, the imputation of sin uh, and, and the answer to the question, how come, how come everybody in the world is reckoned to be guilty and liable to the, to the punishment of God, the wrath of God, by virtue of their existence, uh, comes uh, Jonathan Edwards. Uh, and, uh, you know, you sort of envy the days when books could be sold uh, with titles like uh, The Great Christian Doctrine of Original Sin Defended Evidences of Its Truth Produced and Arguments to the Contrary Answered Containing in Particular a Reply to the Objections of Dr. John Taylor in his book entitled The Scripture Doctrine of Original Sin Proposed to Free and Candid Examination and so on. And uh, that's, uh, that's a bestseller in the 18th century. Uh, and uh, let you uh, let you read uh, all about uh, John and Edwards. Uh, let's go down to page nine and, and four. The the nature of uh, of universal sin. Um, all of Adam's progeny then inherit Adam's nature, his fallen nature, uh, which is what we call original sin. 
Uh, whether we take original to refer to sin's origin in Adam or, or, uh, uh, or extant in us from the moment of our conception. In other words, from the moment we are conceived, we are reckoned to be sinners. Right? Original in that sense or original in the sense, in the sense of, of taking place in Adam himself. So then there exists in every, uh, uh, in every human being, uh, from the moment of their existence, uh, from the moment of their conception, um, a disposition, a bias uh, toward sin, and an, an antipathy towards uh, God and his law. So we're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. Disposition determines conduct. That's original sin. And Paul refers to that disposition uh, on occasions as the flesh, uh, sarks. Now, uh, nuanced uh, scholars among us need to make sure you don't confuse Paul and John, because when John uses sarks, he doesn't always mean that. He, he sometimes just means, means uh, physical flesh, uh, that, that we're physical, as opposed to uh, the, the spirit, uh, the, uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, our spiritual selves so sin dwells within me Romans 7 uh, 20 Uh, shorter catechism 17 the fall brought mankind into an estate, a condition of sin and misery so all of mankind are in this condition as a result of Adam's fall uh, and then for uh, um, Anglicans, uh, Episcopalians, among us I've, uh, I've cited from um, Article 9 of the 39 Articles, uh, which is also uh, uh, an article that confirms uh, original sin. Actually, it's a very strong and very positive uh, and very full statement of uh, original sin. Um, and then uh, I've got some historical things here uh, about uh, Pelagius uh, and his influence uh, perhaps to some degree, to a great degree, on Arminianism uh, in the 17th uh, century. Uh, and then the second picture is uh, a 17th century Calvinist print. Uh, and the caption reads, uh, and, it's, uh, and it's about uh, Pelagius, a cursed Pelagius With what false pretense dost thou excuse man's foul concupiscence, or cry down sin original, or that the love of God did man predestinate? Uh, In other words, uh, this is uh, this is um, this is uh, not polite uh, about uh, Pelagius uh, because he denied original sin. Uh, he disagreed very strongly on the strongest possible terms. Uh, he was Welsh. He, he, he was a monk. He'd gone to, uh, to uh, Rome uh, and uh, came across the statement of Augustine in his confessions. Uh, Give what you command and command what you will. Uh, it's one of the sort of sovereignty of God uh, moments in, uh, in Augustine's uh, confessions. And, uh, and uh, Pelagius just saw it as a, as a license to sin and, uh, and disagree with, d- disagreed with it on the strongest possible terms. And, and in his vitriol against uh, Augustine's statement in the confessions, uh, unleashed a torrent, including his denial of the doctrine of original sin. 
Uh, Original sin brings us into uh, the want of original righteousness. I'm quoting uh, quoting from the Shorter Catechism. Uh, Wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate wherein to man fell? Uh, and the answer is it consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, right? So, so the guilt of Adam's sin is imputed to you, right? Not just the liability to punishment, namely death, but the guilt of it. You are reckoned guilty because of Adam's sin. The want of original righteousness and the corruption of his whole nature. We'll talk about the corruption of nature, total depravity uh, next week. But the want of original uh, righteousness. We've lost the power to obey the law. uh, As defined for us in the Ten Commandments. uh, Or the two great commandments of the New Testament. Uh, We've lost that power. We're in a state of inability. Uh, We've lost the power to effect uh, what's called evangelical obedience. The power to exercise faith. The the power to repent. You tell tell a person, uh, you need to believe in Jesus. But they can't believe in Jesus because they're dead. They're not just uh, mortally wounded. They're not just in the ER. They're not just on life support. They're dead. Their, their wills are unable, their affections are not running in the, in the, in the way of love for God. Their, their mind is just a factory of idols. They, they have lost the power to effect evangelical obedience. So how can you believe? Because of original sin, how can you believe? How can you repent? Only because God enables you to believe. Because God enables you to repent. Uh, and then, and then uh, I have a fairly uh, lengthy uh, section on what's called um, prevenient grace, uh, which is uh, what I've just been saying. God enabling you. Uh, there, there has to be grace uh, that enables you. Now, uh, prevenient grace uh, is, is, is something that uh, the Reformed uh, faith makes a great deal of, but um, Arminius too believed in a form of prevenient uh, grace. But it was, it was more like, a, like cooperation. Uh, he, he believed in the necessity for prevenient grace, but you cooperated with that grace in some way. Um, Look at uh, Westminster Confession 9.3, number 2 under 8. Man by his fall into a state of sin has wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as the natural man being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. That's like a huge, dark, impenetrable cloud that descends upon the totality of mankind and how, how beautiful is the grace of the gospel. That there is no light, there is no light by looking within. There is no light from looking to ourselves or to any act of obedience on our part because we are wholly unable. And that light must come uh, from outside. You know, what did Luther say about salvation? It is extra nos. It is outside of us. It is outside of us. And that's, that's the gospel direction. It's always pointing outside of us and to another and to the second Adam who to the rescue came.
Uh, and then uh, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, time is going, let's go down to number nine, concupiscence. Now, this is just a hugely important term uh, historically and theologically. Uh, it's a term, um, Augustine makes a great deal of it. Uh, it all gets rather confusing. In my own opinion, it gets rather a little confusing in, in uh, Augustine. I, I think Augustine, you know, Augustine had such a terrible life before he was converted, uh, a terrible sexual life before he was converted, and I think it distorts uh, Augustine from that point onwards. And almost almost everything I think is still is still shaped and colored by his past when he talks about concupiscence. And I, I rather think that concupiscence. Uh, in medieval Catholic theology is, is almost uh, derived from what Augustine said it was. And I think it, it is part of the explanation why Roman Catholicism, especially in the medieval period, um, had misgivings about sex altogether. It was just necessary to produce uh, children, but that was about it. Uh, and, and they had grave misgivings about it, regarding it really as, as concupiscence. Um, now, Draw a veil over all of what I've just said. That's just a historical side note um, because the, the term can get confusing in, in, in history. But it's a term, if, you, if you've got a King James Version, it's a term that's in the King James Version. And I've, I've, uh, I went to the length of, uh, of translating what, what is concupiscence, uh, what that word is translated as in the ESV. Uh, and in the ESV, it is uh, in one case, covetousness. In another case, it is evil desire. And in another case, I'm not sure whether it's passion or lust that they've translated uh, uh, the equivalent of the concupiscence. But, but you see there's a variety of terms here. And, and technically, uh, and I've given you a definition of it uh, under two, that selfish human desire uh, for a person, object, or experience a selfish human desire, uh, an innate desire, a longing for uh, the forbidden. For the forbidden. Uh, It's in us. Uh, It's in us by nature. Um, That that lust, that desire, that insatiable um, longing. Concupiscence is the source of all actual transgressions and concupiscence is the result of original sin now um, I didn't get in this evening to uh, traditionism and creationism Uh, you may remember a few weeks ago we talked about the origin of the human soul uh, and there was a sort of a debate uh, as to whether the soul is created Uh, as an act of divine fiat at the time of conception, or whether the soul is actually represented and and, and in some way really present in Adam and is is transmitted, the tradition view, is sort of the soul is passed on from one generation to another, the the traditionists. Now, Thornwell and Shedd and others uh, were traditionists, and, and that explains in part why they were also realists uh, as regards uh, original sin, um, because, because we sinned in Adam, because in some sense we were really there, because our souls were really there, the traditionist argument. Uh, the Federalists, uh, the Hodge and, and, uh, and Murray, and I presume uh, Dr. Ferguson, because 
he is John Murray. Um, so I, I, I presume uh, the, the federal argument uh, that says uh, we, we, are, we, we are reckoned sinners because of a federal legal representative covenantal uh, act of Adam on our behalf. Uh, and uh, generally speaking, uh, that, that ties in with a view of creationism as, as regards the origin of the soul. If you weren't here for that lecture, it was riveting. Um, that's all I can say. Um, next week, uh, we're going to go on to talk about the extent of sin. Uh, having talked about the transmission of it from Adam to all of humanity, how, how much, how sinful are we? Uh, and and how, how, how much of Adamic sin is reckoned to us? What is the extent of it? And that's going to lead us into... Uh, a, a doctrine of total depravity. Now, I know this all kinds of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really encouraged by the numbers who turn up for lectures about sin. Um, and, and, uh, and I know it's sort of depressing, you know, three weeks on sin, or maybe four weeks now on sin. Uh, uh, but isn't the gospel a beautiful thing? Because the gospel is the answer to this horrible, horrible mess that we find ourselves in, this, this dark, impenetrable cloud. In, in which we are in, and the light of the gospel shines in, because it is our only hope. Um, but, but all of that um, next week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Thank you for not just the, the representation of Adam and, and this, this alarming truth that in Adam, before we were ever born, we were sinners. In sin, our mothers conceived us. When we were in the womb, we were sinners. And... Uh, Yes, deserving, deserving of death because we were reckoned guilty before we, before we ever emerged, before we ever actually committed any voluntary sin on our part. How beautiful the gospel that tells us that by the act of one man's obedience there is justification and life. That we have to do nothing. Uh, we, we, we don't earn it. We don't even prepare ourselves for it. It is offered as a free gift to us in Christ. Bless these uh, truths to us. Grow us in grace. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.